Hello, my friends, Nigel here, and welcome to Backable. We've got a great show for you today, with Tim being once again joined by co-host and COO of the Philodomo Group, Alana Harari. And this week, we're talking acquisitions. Now, it can be a great way to grow your business, but there are risks involved. This week, we talk about what red flags you should be looking for when buying, knowing the purpose you're acquiring for, and the very real challenges that you should be aware of and plan for when bringing two or more entities together. Hope you enjoy. One of the very interesting things that the pandemic has brought up for particularly some of our clients is opportunities to acquire businesses. When this occurs, such as a pandemic like now, these opportunities come up because people are more open to opportunities. Some people want to get out, timing, what the future looks like, a whole range of things that present new opportunities. And acquisition is a wonderful growth strategy during normal times, let alone when there's a hell of a lot of opportunity hitting the market. But if you've never bought a business before or you've never gone into an acquisition in any form, you actually have to consider a few things. And I want to discuss that today with Lana and Nigel, because if you get this wrong, you could set your business back years, if not decades. If you get it right, it's a wonderful way to grow quickly. Maybe that's where we start, Lana. We have to work out if we think acquisition is part of our business plan for the next year, two years, five years. Why are we actually buying another business? Let's start with the fundamentals. There's a really great point around acquisition in terms of ego. It sounds super sexy to say, I've just acquired a business. I've got this to my name. And sometimes we can get a little bit blindsided by all the bright and shiny. But the real reason from my point of view is actually why you want to buy a business is because it gives you a solution. The example that always comes up is you don't want to buy a business to fix the sales problem because you'll have that same problem in the business you've acquired if you don't have the structures there. But you might want to acquire a business because it adds more value, because it gives you a new product or service, or it gives your clients more of what they want. Well, let's jump onto that for a bit, because if you're playing at home, (laughs) Lana just said, as a sales sales solution. So a lot of people look for acquisition because they might struggle to grow organically, or it's too slow to grow. So they think, how do I grow my business? I know, I just buy the person next door. I'm one plumbing company, and now I buy plumbing company two, and now I'm twice as big plumbing company which is fine. It is actually a sales strategy, but there's more than just buying to grow, isn't there? There's a lot of things that you can buy a business for, not just aggressive growth. One of my mentors, he told me, why buy the business when you could just buy the person? Well, well, wait a minute. That's a really good point. Do you actually need to buy the business to start with? Because I remember the early days we were looking at acquiring other digital agencies And these mentors said, if there's someone really good in the agency that can get the clients or can offer the service, why not go and poach them as opposed to paying for the entire business? And that's almost the foundation of, so why are you actually doing this? If you're there because you can't get the skill set, because it takes many people to get this particular skill set, that's when buying a a business or acquiring a business makes a lot of sense because you've got a pre-made, ready-to-roll service offering versus if you want to buy a person who happens to be in the business, with that comes a lot of baggage. And that is a really interesting point, which is do I actually need to buy the business or am I looking to acquire the talent? Now, acquisition for talent is not an uncommon strategy. Essentially, you're buying the IP. 
the IP in this case, in the smaller business being a person or a group of people that you want to add to your business. Obviously, when you do the acquisition, you need to make sure that those people are locked in and that there are ways of retaining them. And this is probably something we'll talk on a bit later on, which is understanding what you're buying and how to make sure that you're actually buying what you think you're buying. And this is where a lot of SMEs get it wrong because they think when they buy a business, you're getting the key to the front door and now you own that business. And then you wake up day two and everyone else is looking for new jobs. They've decided to move on, that you've paid for something that's not there. And so you have to really understand what am I buying and why am I buying? And in this case, being talent acquisition. So can you rip out the person that you want without buying the business? That's what you're basically saying. With lots of morals and values around it, of course. Well, it's a free market. The morals and values is, (laughs) well, I'm going to pay you this much. Do you want to come to my business? And if that business can't retain that person, good luck to you. And I think a lot of the times that's where it can come into it. The importance of knowing why you're actually buying the business. If you're buying it for talent acquisition, amazing. Make sure those people are locked in before you acquire the business. If you're buying it for longer term strategy, you know, the infamous example is that Facebook purchased Instagram for their audience because they had a younger market. So Facebook knew that they could build this platform that was already growing, but they couldn't necessarily get to the audience as quick. So that was a strategic decision to buy a product to add to their product. I think that's a really interesting one. And if you're running a business and you're wondering, well, Facebook bought Instagram because it was an awesome platform. Well, yes, it is. But they understood something there, which was where they didn't have ownership of a demographic. So Instagram had a much younger, at the time, demographic. It was a opportunity for Facebook to lock in a whole different demographic that was obsessed with Instagram. And at the time, I know you remember Lana and Nigel, we were running a social media agency. Everyone was saying it's the death of Facebook. I couldn't believe how many people at the time were going, is Facebook just dying? And this was less than five years ago, really, maybe about five years ago. Facebook knew that how do we get people filtered onto our main platform? Well, let's grab this audience. And if we have control over that platform, they're all going to eventually filter as they get older into the main platform being Facebook. And then the flip side of what you're talking about is that they acquired WhatsApp for its messaging functionality. So on one side, you've got Facebook strategy being buy an audience or buy the eyeballs. And on the other side, you've got the buy a functionality that of course they could build, but it wouldn't have that same longevity, that same stickiness, that same intensity. So when we come back to why are you actually buying this business? What is it for? Talent acquisition is probably the most dangerous one because as humans, we can go anywhere we want. We can leave, we can sign contracts, all this sort of stuff. Whereas if you look at your strategy and say, I can buy a product, a service, a reason to jump into this market, that's almost more solid. You just have to back it up with humans. And it comes back to If you're listening to this now and you've not acquired a business before and you think you will one day, you really have to determine what's your strategic plan or strategic purpose for buying a business. Talent is one thing, but unless you're getting someone who's amazing, as in they know something that others don't. So you see it in the big Silicon Valleys and tech. There are people that are actually geniuses or at the forefront of a new industry traditional businesses and ones that don't have that. I'd be surprised if there's someone who's so brilliant that you need to buy the company for a person. I believe you could probably hire for that and incentivize someone to come. If you're a smaller business and you're thinking you're buying a company for someone, that's a pretty dangerous strategy unless you're very, very experienced or have a very specific purpose or something you need to fix in your business. But the reality is most people are buying for a level of growth or expansion 
or evolution of their company. Because let's jump back into the example there, Lana, which was Facebook buying these different platforms. But as a different type of business or an SME and some of our listeners listening, you might be thinking, I've got an audience and I've got a client base. Maybe I should be buying something that we don't offer because now we can offer to our same audience a different product or service, which is another reason to acquire a business. I've already got an audience. Now let's sell them more stuff. This is where the fun becomes and this is where the strategy and the longevity of a business comes. What value is that product, that service going to give your clients? Also, can you build it yourself internally? And I think this is the really big question you have to ask when we say, why are you actually buying that other business? While yes, it can be sexy, while yes, it can be fast, what's your long-term strategy around profitability? Will building it internally give you more profitability in the long run? Or will actually going out and finding this other business give you the profitability that you're after and that growth? And this is where the question always comes, is making sure want versus need. Do you need to buy this other business or do you simply want to? And this is where outside forces come into it and talking to people who have done it before, they'll give you the pros and cons and even simple things like um, due diligence, the expense of due diligence. It's not just I'm going to buy a company and away we go. It's an expensive process to buy a business properly. Yeah. and In relative terms. Yeah. The why for buying a business has to be strong enough to almost sustain the expense that comes with it. Otherwise, there's no value in it for your company. That whole idea of why are you buying the business, it gets down to a point of your appetite for risk. And your appetite for risk is, can I build this internally? Or can I purchase something that already has a base level or a track record or a market position? And then my focus is on the integration with my company, where the risk then starts to be. Or I know that because I can purchase this And from a financial point of view, the leverage I can get from being able to acquire, you've got cash reserves or you're borrowing money, that you actually have a lower risk by getting something established because the actual purchase costs or the acquisition or the leverage you can get from buying this is low enough where it's worth the risk. And this is why a lot of SMEs don't understand acquisitions properly because they're not even thinking about leverage. They're thinking about using their cash to buy. They're not borrowing. They're not leveraging it. They're not finding ways to structure the deal, which you can buy the business out of its own cash flows, things like that, that as you become more experienced or you have advisors that are specialists in acquisition types, acquisitions aren't necessarily money out of your pocket. And there's so many intelligent ways to buy a business that you want to make sure that you're not doing it in a way that's not maximizing your opportunity and resources. And this is the thing why it becomes a little bit dangerous. It's not as simple as here's a business and buy it, unless it's a very, very small business and the amount is almost negligible. But there's a lot of complexity to the strategy of these type of acquisitions. And you need to at least, first of all, know they exist and then work out where is our company in its life cycle and which way do we need to go. So what you're saying is just because you can doesn't mean you should necessarily? (laughs) Absolutely. And this is um, ideas of grandeur. Oh, I'm just going to buy businesses. There is a real cost, energy and strategy to doing this and you have to be clear on what you're trying to do. When we look at bigger companies doing this, I mean we saw one the other day with a retailer which they bought a really cool fashion brand they bought the brand and paid a fortune for it because they wanted to start lifting the overall value of their website by having exclusivity to this brand that was an up-and-comer. It wasn't really around 
maximizing growth or sales. It was starting to build value and then building, obviously bringing the audience because it's always a secondary gain to this. But when we're going to buy a business, we need to think about why do I really need it and where do I gain an advantage? And we need to talk a little bit around the economies of scale. Basically, as we get bigger, we find more efficiencies in the way we can operate. So if you buy another business and you integrate it well, there's opportunities to probably cut costs in there. There's an opportunity to maximize your gross profits because you might not need two warehouses. You might be able to consolidate from both businesses into one. You might not need as many staff because you start to get efficiencies. So actually, when you buy a business, it may be worth more in your hands. And this is that whole idea, which is I want to acquire something because I know that in my business, that business is worth more. Having gone through this yourself, what's the flip side of what you've just said? While it's really great to say it can be more with me, there also comes quite a bit of responsibility with that purchase, bringing it into your fold, into your business, into your systems and your processes. Absolutely. Integration is one of the key things when you're going through an acquisition and it depends on the type of acquisition, obviously, and the size of your company. So if you're a smaller business, integration is going to be pretty important because companies are all culturally different. You want to make sure that when you purchase something, will the culture of the two businesses integrate if they need to? Because if they don't, then you have to plan for that turnover of potential staff because anytime a business is purchased, a lot of the staff in that business that you're purchasing are probably going to reevaluate whether this is where they want to be, particularly if it's been a family business or a tight-knit group for a while. This is a a jump-off point for a lot of people and you have to manage around that and you have to put energy into those integrations. You have to do your due diligence before the purchase to make sure who's actually going to stay when this business is bought, not just contractually, but who is going to actually be around. Clients are included in that. I know there was the big one back in the day um, that L'Oreal bought the body shop. The body shop is eco-friendly and quite environment-focused and a lot of their customers jumped off because they didn't believe that L'Oreal aligned to their personal values for why they were purchasing the body shop. When you look at both sides of your responsibilities, when you're acquiring, it's your responsibilities to the people within the team and it's your responsibility to the clients of that business to bring them into yours as well. And that's where a lot of acquisitions fall down is during the integration. The idea of not meeting the same cultural values as the business that you're being bought by. It just if you're working for a company like the body shop where you feel like there's an alignment to the environment, to healthy living, and then you're bought by a bigger company that might do animal testing, that might do all this, you're actually got a mismatch of alignment. And so a lot of people who are there for purpose-driven work environments might not agree with the purchaser. And these are obviously massive deals, but as a smaller company, It might be as simple as people don't want to now travel to the new office because they've lived around their old office for so long. And if you integrate the office, oh, we're now 20 minutes down the road. Well, some people who are there, that's not part of their lifestyle. So you're always dealing with a range of different things. What we're trying to say, what we are saying is that when you acquire a business, you're acquiring problems. But some problems are really good problems to have and some problems are the ones that you want to work through because the strategy was there in the first place. Is that a fair enough point? the good and the bad problems that come with acquisition. Yeah, and we're talking about just integration of people. There's also integration of systems. So if you buy another business and it's got any form of systemization, which you hope it does, but you want it something that you can actually see as a, a tangible asset, 
if they're different to the business you're integrating, it doesn't matter if it's better or worse, it's still a change. So everyone's back in development and learning again. And when people have been settled in a company for so long and doing things the same way, there's a trust. People are working in synergy, regardless of whether it's efficient or not. It's how they do things. But as soon as you move over, people are back in that learning. So everything feels different during the integration. That's obviously if you're integrating the two companies. You might be buying a business and just leaving it as it is. And as you start to get bigger, that's some of the options you have. But there's most likely some of the efficiencies that you've gained in your business or that you want to put into the other business because you can see that there are opportunities there because they're underperforming or doing things in a way that you know can be better, which is how we create operational efficiencies and then obviously more profitability and things like that. People are always going to need to integrate, but it's just a difficult thing because there's so many moving parts in an acquisition because it's a new business. You have to know going into it that I'm ready to work through those type of challenges. From your experience, would you say there are any particular red flags that people listening to this, if they're thinking of acquiring, if they're getting quite excited, any red flags to be aware of and not even to kill the deal or kill the excitement but I guess to bring it a little back to reality of just watch for this, just be aware of this. I think with any sort of acquisition, if you're in a smaller business, you need to be wary of essentially everyone in the business and you need to do your due diligence past the financial due diligence. You need to actually speak to people, you need to spend time in the company. It's not just a let's buy this and then see how it goes. So if you're in a smaller business and you're looking to acquire or even take over, because a lot of smaller businesses get opportunities by taking over someone's business. Two small businesses, there's not a lot of obvious exit options. And someone says, what if I give you my business and you pay me over the next couple of years and you can pay me with the profits of the business? It's an exit strategy for some people in smaller companies. It sounds like a no-brainer. Yes, I get this business. I don't pay anything for it. The business is going to pay for itself because we're going to use the profits of that business to buy out the current owner. But what comes with that is understanding all these other things and the liabilities that you're still responsible for. So it could be accumulated debts that that business have. It could be the staff's remuneration and leave potentially that they've they bracket. You have to know everything that comes with an acquisition, even if it sounds like a no-brainer. The red flags for me is understanding what doesn't fit with your core strategy. Even if the acquisition's good, it might not be good for you. Because if you have a strategic plan and you see, as long as I can settle this business down for the next couple of years, but everyone's close to retirement age and you know that they're probably not going to be around in six months' time, you might have a lot of things you need to worry about. It might be things that are easy to deal with if that was your priority. You have to understand the type of acquisition you're going for. So it's the same thing when you're, say, buying a property. Is there a bad property purchase? Of course there is. There's one that goes down. There's one that is the wrong type of property purchase for your financial position. You can buy a property for asset value that it's going to grow in the next 10 years or immediate yield because you're looking for a return on your money versus an asset building strategy. It's the same with a business. In the right hands, Every acquisition is probably valuable. 
But if you're unclear on what you're trying to achieve, you are going to waste so much time, energy, effort and resources that it can set you back years. Staying on the property analogy, another one of my mentors jumped into a business that she was looking at purchasing in logistics. And just like with a house where you might not see all of the problems until you live in it, she makes sure that every business that she purchases she lives in it before she purchases. And she found in this logistics company, there was a really strange benchmark. And so in order to reach this benchmark, the drivers were lying about 30% of their time spent. What this meant was that she would be able to get rid of this strange benchmark that drivers had to meet and increase the efficiency of drivers, therefore bringing more money into the business. This was after spending, I think it was she found it within about four hours. Is that right, Tim? Of sitting in the business? Yeah. And while it sounds very simple, you know, live in the house, be in the business for a period of time, if you are looking for an acquisition, actually understanding the day-to-day running of it is vitally important because if you're acquiring a business, usually you're a good business person. You've got some now, you've got some experience. That the way, hopefully. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Uh, I've <laughs> that seen a, a lot of not good business people still acquiring businesses. So people, yeah. the people listening to Backable oh, well, are good Obviously all very good business people. You want to be able to see things in a different light and you want to be able to sit in that business and see opportunity, which is why you're purchasing it in the first place. But even as simple as where these truck drivers were spending their time based on an archaic number – it made this business so valuable because she knew how to fix it and she knew how to get more value out of the business but also out of the team in it. And that's something to also look at is, yes, you're acquiring a business, but what are you giving back to that business? Well, I think that's the key for a lot of people that go into acquisition. They see something that the owner of the business you're trying to buy doesn't see. Having experience in the baby boomer transition you see people that have been doing the same thing over and over for 20 years and it's still a good business. The issue is you know that with technology upgrades, with different efficiencies, with different people, even just going in and having a different conversation with key staff because a lot of staff have a lot of ideas but culturally the business is not set up for optimal improvement and change. So you can go in there and see things with new eyes and you could see what they're not doing well. The balance you have to have is just because you see it doesn't mean the current team in that business is going to be able to execute it. But in the case that Lana's talking about, if you can find quick wins when you go and buy a company, you're laughing. If you can go in there and find a way to suddenly increase profitability by 25%, well, that's going to be a good acquisition because you're buying the business on a multiple that's based on its current numbers. If you can rapidly change those numbers to be positive for you, then you've bought an asset that is undervalued. And that's an unbelievable position to be in as a business owner when you're buying assets that are undervalued. And that's the whole idea of turnaround businesses. People buy businesses that are underperforming or going backwards. They're a specialty on doing the things that need to be done to turn around businesses and make money. So they buy a business for a certain amount and they know that I've got 100 days to turn these things around quickly and then put in the business model that's going to get it to a certain point. But when they buy the business because it might be going backwards or losing a lot of money, they might be buying it for cents in the dollar. But that's their specialty about rapid improvement. You see a lot of private equity companies do that. They're looking for underperforming assets that they know as long as they've got enough resource to keep them going for a certain amount of time and the right people to change what's not working in that company, then you can seriously find some underperforming assets that are very, very valuable. Like in that instance where one major thing in the company 
someone could see. And as soon as that's changed, well, it changes the whole operation's profitability by 30, 40%, which is astronomical if the business's core is still great. On that, you're using the word you a lot. You as a person, you as a business owner, you as the, the individual who's there to acquire. So I guess if we sort of move this away from the business and is the business ready, a lot of this does come back to you as the business owner and the individual actually being ready. So beyond cash flows, beyond knowledge, am I as an individual actually ready to buy a business? So what's that next step? So a lot of people, particularly smaller business owners, they believe I'm going to buy another business and it'll keep producing what I bought it for. So I'm going to go and buy this business and because this is the numbers it's been doing for the last five years. Well, the only difference is I own it now and so the profit's coming to me. And that's not how it happens at all. And what you have to realise is there are so many different things you have to do in order to make sure that business continues to perform. What if you lost someone or a key person in that business? What if you lost a key client? Maybe you purchased a business that you didn't look at where the revenue is being generated from because it's got two or three big clients that were the friend of the owner. Maybe there's a couple of distribution partners that are actually not happy. And this is part of a great due diligence process, which we spoke about earlier, is this should not be an unknown. But if you've never done this before, you don't know what you're doing, you may not have gone and spoken to their key clients, their key suppliers, the key people that drive that business. So are you delusional around what your role is? Now, this is for smaller businesses. Say we're calling it sub $2 million type acquisitions. As a business, you have to work out, are you ready for the acquisition? So what is your role? Are you a CEO or do you still have an operational role in your business? So how do you focus on two businesses or a bigger workforce? Do you have the financial management systems to make sure that you're optimizing your cash as you're integrating a new company because it's going to cost cash. There's going to be unknown things, including having to buy the business, especially if you've got earnout where you're paying people over the next few years or whatever deal you strike. These are all the challenging things you need to think about because if you don't know about them, you're just going to have a very stressful time in a high-risk strategy. And you don't want that because that might take your focus away from the core business, which is doing well. I personally remember my, my, first, my first run at acquisition and the amount of mental energy that went into it, not just preparing the documents but also understanding what was being looked at and getting all the answers. I think a lot of people do underestimate the need for the leader of the acquisition, which at smaller levels is usually the business owner. We underestimate the mental energy that goes into it, let alone the actual time of going through everything. So it's something just to be aware of is if it's simple, that's actually a red flag in itself. If you're buying this business that's been running for quite a period of time, you should be spending weeks, if not months, figuring out what it is about this business that makes it tick from client lists and processes through, of course, to cash flows and team. But be wary of the simplicity. If it seems too simple, possibly there's something there. And if you're an owner that's or is still operationally working in your business while an opportunity comes up and you think, oh, I'll be able to do this in a couple of weeks, then you're the red flag because you probably don't understand the complexity or the warning signs that you need to look out for because it shouldn't take a couple of weeks to buy a business. 
people spend longer trying to buy a used car. Like, why? I, I was trying to be nice there. No, but it's really important because I think this is the delusion around acquisitions. You might look at your competitor in an industry or a local market and go, oh, they're a great business. I'd love to own them. And when you actually spend some time in that business, you realize the owner wants out of their business because it's not a great business as a perception. It looks good and it's doing some good work, but they're actually losing a lot of money or it's a toxic culture. You have to make sure you're not the sucker. You don't want to be the garbage collector buying other people's crap. You do not want that. The idea is when you have an acquisition that it propels you forward at an exponential rate for whatever your strategy is because it needs to in order to allow for the risks and the unknowns that come with an acquisition. You have to have a disproportionate advantage to the strategy of why you're buying it in order for it to be a good investment. And that's probably in the long term because in the short term, it will drain you probably financially and emotionally because you are integrating, you are building change. Maybe you've got a new service, maybe you're adding a new product. But if the long-term gain is there and it's thought through and it's been planned in line with your strategy, also making sure you've got some goalposts along the way to make sure that the acquisition is actually working because not all acquisitions work. Sometimes you do have to cut your losses and retire said acquisition. So making sure that you've actually got those benchmarks along the way of the acquisition because you might have to make that decision to let it go. And you've got to think about what is letting it go. Is letting it go a catastrophic loss where you lose the whole company or is letting it go that you will have to sell that business at a loss? But that's assuming that there's someone else who will buy it. You've got to be careful on that because we're not in the business of having catastrophic losses. I mean, that's pretty dangerous. It's a big one. And again, coming back to Tim's point of it should take you months, you should know that business inside out, back to front, so that when you start to see how it's performing, you've got plans, you've got ideas in place so that the catastrophic end doesn't actually come. You've got a plan of attack, almost for failure, as bad as that sounds, but acquiring a business isn't just acquiring it so it all works out. It's having your plan B, plan C for what could happen with the acquisition so that you don't lose financially at the end. Not many people are probably prepared and that's not to be scared of, okay, well, I'm not prepared, I can't do it. You want to look at new opportunities. What you need to work out, and I've done this in the past or we used to have a joke about it, which is we opened another business to make the current struggling business better. Particularly in the early days, we were doing things to fix cracks in a business and we would do it by, well, we need to make more money, let's open another site. This is from years and years ago. We used to joke about it. It's like having a kid to save the marriage. That's not going to save the marriage. You need to fix the fundamental flaws. So if your business is one that is struggling in an area, you've got to make sure it's struggling in an area that an acquisition is going to fix, not double the problems because it's not actually double it. It compounds. It's more problems and more resources in things that you might not be experienced with. And that's why it's really important to know what the acquisition is going to do for your business and is that strategically the best use of your capital and resources. So in using Lana's example from right at the beginning of you've got a sales problem, is there ever in your opinion a, a time where you can go, okay, I'm not buying a salesperson, but this other business that we're looking at has a really strong sales process and it's tied up in the purchase of the business. Is that a good purchase at that time? No, 
No, I don't think it is. I think that's trying to fix a problem. You wouldn't need to buy the business where if we look at that as we need to fix a sales problem, it shouldn't be because of a process of sales unless it's something really unique. And then we're talking about we're buying a way they generate clients that you can't build yourself. It's like this. I want to say I've got professional services. One of the smarter is why don't I buy an accounting firm? And then I can push different professional services through those clients or have access to them. You work out if I'm fixing that sales problem, is this going to give me access to the thing in my sales mechanism of my current client or current company, sorry, that this will fix. But it needs to be a deeper level than a person or a way of doing it because frankly, if you've got a sales problem that you're trying to fix by buying what you think someone else's business is doing better, there's probably something fundamentally wrong with your company at the moment. Why are you buying something that you need to figure out or as we said earlier, hire for, fix that. I've seen acquisitions for client lists only. That's a different thing because it might take you a couple of years to get access to a type of client Or you can buy a company that already has the relationship and that for some businesses is worth the acquisition price, but they're actually not buying it for the business. It may be worth more for them just to get access to that client without whatever the business is doing. A lot of these companies is, I want to buy it, integrate what we do with the client list and then close down the business that we just bought because we don't think that's where we can make our money, nor is that the future of that company. And that's an interesting acquisition type. Because a lot of businesses that are not as relevant in the future, you might be able to get at a really good price. But some of those elements like their database, client list, relationships, that's where you might see the value. And particularly in those circumstances where you might have a core business that is going backwards, you might get a really great acquisition for all the things that strengthen your current business because you've got a business that can actually progress in the future. And those assets are, I guess, money money can buy assets if you can find the right deal. So on the reverse side of that then, we're talking about acquiring businesses, but we spoke about the pandemic earlier and there's a lot of people that for whatever reason, that's it, they're done. They're not going to have a long-term business after this. Is there a strategy to set yourself up for sale during a time like this? That's a great question and I think we should do another show on it because that's a very long, (laughs) long answer. Um, A big thing for me is knowing your actual value and I use the word actual underlined and bolded because what we think the value of our business is often isn't the value of our business. So making sure that financially you've got all your books up to date, you've got everything ready to go, but also understanding that things like goodwill of a business can be very inflated and a lot of the times won't be brought into the actual value of a business, whereas when we're planning to sell, we think it will be. So looking at the actual honest value of your business will make sure that you're not disappointed or feeling undervalued should the process of selling actually begin. I guess this is one of the things when you're valuing a company, what values a company? And if you look at it from a financial point of view, there are metrics in which types of businesses sell in an industry for, which is the multiple. And and different industries use different calculations to work out what would be the average value of that business. It's an art form, not a science. Really, if you're the acquirer, what is it worth to you? It's not like here's a commodity that's worth a set price. It has a price depending on the market. And in smaller businesses, you'll have business brokers trying to give you a valuation on a business based on what? A business broker gets as much as they can. And as I said, you don't want to be the sucker. 
if you're directly going to a company, who's valuing it and why. And so this is where you have to be very protective of your resources and you need to work out what it's worth to you, not what it's worth in the market. Some people accept what it's worth in the market, but that's not based on anything that's going to help your company. And so things like goodwill, the calculation is completely arbitrary, which is we've been in business for 20 years. So what? What matters is what is your actual turnover in terms of clients? We've been in business 20 years, but our average client stays a year. There's not a lot of goodwill, whereas there's a business that's been there for 20 years and most of their clients have been there for 18 years. You know there's a level of goodwill or relationship that you need to look at. These are all the challenges when you go to buy a company. You have to understand where it all fits in terms of your strategy. And unless you have that, it's very difficult to then find an acquisition that works for you because there's just too many variables. So with all the variables that you're talking about, and we've got a range of listening in here. So some people might just be learning about acquisition for the first time. Some people might have actually been going through it. Who do you bring around you to help you make these decisions? Who do you get to point you in the right direction? You have your obviously usual, your usual suspects, which is your accountant, your lawyer. If you've been dealing with a local type accountant, you might need to find someone who specializes in not quite forensic accounting, but someone who can come in and do an audit for acquisition. So there are people with those specialties around and they'll sit in and forensically make sure that what the books say is actually what's happening. And a lot of people know from running their own books in their businesses that you're building the story you need in terms of how it's looking, tax optimization and all these sort of things. People who specialize in these audits, they come in and they look at, did the money that you say actually go into the bank accounts? Is the business owner taking cash out? I've seen a lot of funny things where people who are selling their businesses, you know, this is probably very localized businesses, but they go, oh, but you know, we took out $20,000 in cash. It's a common thing that used to be around when there was less credit card payments and things like that. First of all, it's illegal if you're not paying tax on it, but also how do you claim that if it's actually not registered anywhere? So you actually have to make sure what you're buying and there are specialists that actually will go through and give you that. On the downside though, those specialists can be very expensive. If you're paying someone to do a forensic dive into an acquisition, they're still there for a long time. Say they're there for a week going through even the smallest company, then it's going to be potentially expensive for you if you're an SME. When you get to bigger acquisitions and you might have a team of people on there for months and months, Sometimes deals can't go through because literally the transaction costs, the consultants, the people you use, will be too expensive for that size of deal. Has that ever happened? Have you ever heard of someone that's just purchased but actually ended up purchasing the business because it was now less costly to continue along something that wasn't a good idea? No. 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 Yes, I have heard of it, but they're idiots. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but no, that's absolutely right. Transaction costs are something that needs to be factored into what you do in any acquisition. Now, some business sizes are actually more difficult to buy because the transaction costs versus the size of that business are in that not ideal because they're big enough where you need to do spend a lot of the money, but they're too small to make it worthwhile. So I don't want to spend a million dollars on my lawyer or my accountants to go through a transaction that's $5 million. What's the point? 
it's understanding where those transaction costs fix in because a lot of people who might be doing this for the first time, that's on you. So if you do all your due diligence and you pay people and then the deal falls through because even if you do all your due diligence, I've seen it commonly as well. The person selling the business might decide to change their mind. You don't get your cost back. Now, in some cases, if you've experienced, you'll build that into if we're going down this process, there's an intention to sell and there's contracts in place. But if you've never done it before, you might be spending all this money and the last minute the person pulls out, well, you don't get your money back. I've seen that a few times that the person that's being purchased, they haven't paid attention to their business for a long time. But through the process of actually getting it ready for sale, they go, actually, this is a good business. But they use the process and somebody else's time and money to then go, no, I'm keeping it now. Thank you. I'm done. And out. (laughs) Yeah, and you don't want to be in a situation with unsophisticated sellers because you'll be stuck with the bill. You'll waste not just the money to pay for the due diligence, you've wasted a lot of time and energy. An acquisition is a full-on process. The ones we've gone through, you basically it's a 24-7 thing during the process because you want to fast track it. The more time you take, the more it's costing you to start with. So you're trying to be as efficient as possible, not just to make sure you don't miss anything, but also you just need to try and get to a point of a yes or no as quickly as possible for smaller companies. The longer these things drag out, it's just too difficult. There's an emotional cost to going through it, like that roller coaster, particularly when it's a larger deal. You can't discount that because it affects everything else that you do. Whether it's good or bad, it's always big. And I was just thinking that in relation to your question of who do you need around you, you need someone who is going to call you on your BS, what you're thinking at the time, what you're seeing at the time. You need an external person who cares for you but will tell you the truth because they will often pull you out of that intense emotional attachment to what's going on and actually allow you to see the lay of the land. Again, we're very lucky. We've got some high-level individuals who do that for us consistently so we could go to them. If you're going through acquisition either to acquire or to be acquired, find that person who will pull you out and let you see a version of reality so you can make the right decision. Yeah, there's an emotional element to all of this, but really you shouldn't fall in love with any deal. That's already a problem. If you fall in love with a deal too early, you need to stay rational and an observer of, is this still right? Because things inevitably change, particularly as you start to get more experienced and you're dealing with people who are also experienced. They're also playing games to make sure that the process works in their favor too, because this is the game, which is how do we maximize what we're doing? And that's by crawling past every post, just an inch more, grabbing this, changing the conditions. So we're almost at a deal, then a condition changes that changes the whole complexity. This is part of the transaction process. Things change, particularly in smaller businesses where there are less experienced people doing it, potentially for the first time. It's a very emotional thing, particularly for someone who it's their only business and they're selling it. It might be their family business. It might be something they've spent years and years. They start to reflect on how much effort they've put in to get there. And as soon as they see a value, they lose their mind because it's now quantifying the seven days a week, 24 hours a day work they've put in, the risk they've put in, the pain of growing a company. And then they see it at the end, it actually changes their whole view on their company. And then they start to question everything. They start to work out, do they really want to lose this? Because then they realize, potentially, what am I going to do next? So with smaller businesses, this process can be very emotional for one or both of the parties because the person buying it really wants it, the person selling it 
is coming to terms with a transition that they may not have even thought about up until a point where it becomes real. And there's always these emotions that Lana talks about and you have to be able to manage it or expect that things are going to change rapidly from day to day in a deal. So for those of you out there that are considering acquisition as potentially a strategy, and I know it's become pretty interesting since the pandemic started because there's a lot of businesses that are going to need help or a lot of business owners that might be looking to transition because they don't want to ante up again for the next phase of the economic conditions. Just respect the process. Respect that acquisition is a great strategy, but you need to understand where it fits in from so many different parts of your business, the reason for doing it, the advantage of it, the risk will reward, the opportunity cost of where the funds, energy and effort could be spent if you weren't doing that and then all the mechanisms you need to follow to make sure that you're covered in the right transaction dynamic because unless you understand all those different elements, you'll end up buying something that you really don't want and at best, you'll waste your money. At worst, you could actually destroy your core business, which is the real problem when these things don't work because it takes a lot of energy and effort to just get your business to a point where you're looking for acquisitions to then go and get the wrong acquisition. You could be spending years and years trying to undo that problem, which we've seen countless times. But fun. (laughs) Nigel, Lana, Good to chat about it. An interesting strategy, particularly in post-pandemic world because there'll be a lot of opportunities around, but the right opportunity is great. The wrong opportunity you want to avoid. Interesting topic. I'll um, see you all back here next week. See ya. Well, that's us done for another week, team. I hope you enjoyed it and thanks for listening. As always, you can head on over to backable.ai to access all the downloadables we put together. And if you enjoyed this week's podcast, please don't forget to like, subscribe, and if you have a minute, please leave a review. Now, if you want to stay up to date with all things Backable and Philodobone, why not join our closed Facebook group and get connected with some like-minded, action-oriented business people? Also, you can follow us on one or all of the platforms you can find in the show description below. That's all from us for now. Have a great week, and we look forward to speaking with you next week. Bye.